What's up, everybody? Welcome, and thank you for joining me. This is the Gaming Be Granted podcast. I am your host, Grant Johnson, and I just wanted to start off this uh, first mainline episode of the show um, saying thank you for joining me, and thank you for checking out my prologue announcement um, little episode uh, that I published last week. Um, this has been a long time coming. I've been thinking about starting a podcast, talking about video games for a while, and I thought no better time to start than the present. Uh, I've been seeing just a lot of posts uh, from many creators encouraging people to get uh, going on their creative endeavors, and uh, this has been one I've been thinking about for a long while. I want to contribute to this space. I want to be a part of the uh, excuse me, greater video game community. And uh, so I'm shooting my shot, and we're going to get started. So um, thank you uh, once again. And um, to kick things off, uh, I just wanted to talk about what I've been playing. Um, a couple of random things. A lot of Call of Duty Warzone has been my main game every night since it released uh, last March. And I've got a core group of good guy friends that I, that I play with every night. Trios, duos, uh, we try and do our best. I think right now I've racked up close to 30 wins. Um, nothing super fancy. I'm not the greatest gamer on there, but I have improved and um, been having a lot of fun with that. Call of Duty's uh, and Activision Infinity Ward and now Raven Software, who are updating the game, have done a really good job at creating a battle royale. Uh, in the Call of Duty mold, and uh, it's been really entertaining. I think it's personally my most entertaining Battle Royale in the market. I did like uh, what Black Ops 4 did with Blackout, um, and at the beginning I kind of liked it better than Warzone, but over time Warzone's proven to be the better option, and the, I think the longer-lasting option. I think they're really going to go behind uh, this one, and I, I'm going to be playing it for a long time, although... Right now, it has been a bit challenging uh, to play. There's been a lot of game-breaking bugs, and that's unfortunate. Um, I would say it happens, but there's been too many of late, and it's been hard to play. Um, of course, some of you that have played Warzone on a regular basis know one of them is the Stimshot glitch, where if you down yourself uh, with a self-revive if you're playing solos or if you have teammates with a grenade, and then you self-revive and you have stims equipped you now can uh unlimited stim shot yourself and heal up and just go into the gas and just roam around and never die and you can just hide away from other players and win matches that way it's really annoying when it comes up uh it's really frustrating because if you're not doing that and you're up against that then you think you have a win and then you realize nope someone's out there just waiting for us to die and then steal that win from us so there's some of that um some of the weapons uh recently finally got a second nerf the dmr uh has been toxic to say the least we've had to use it uh, in our loadouts uh i don't like it i don't really like semi-automatic weapons in call of duty they just don't feel right to me and i know that my trigger finger i just can't get the rate of fire that everyone else is getting and granted i don't have um paddles on the back of my controller so that could be it other people just have a competitive advantage or they're using mouse and keyboard because it is cross-play but um yeah 
finally we got some nerfs for those guns and hopefully the competitive balance comes back into play um but we'll see i uh, just had one match last night after the uh, a couple of matches last night after the update so it remains to be seen if those issues are fixed um but uh, still having a lot of fun i uh, haven't gotten a win in a while but uh, i don't get discouraged if i don't win it's still fun to play and um i've bonded with uh the guy friends i've met on the game throughout this year and they've become some of the best friends i've ever had so i'm really thankful for warzone, warzone for giving me that opportunity um and yeah um i've also been playing a little bit of bloodborne kind of funny games has uh greg miller playing his first true playthrough of that game over on their channel and making it a challenge for him to beat it finally he said he's tried multiple times and just can't get into it because it's Soulsborne combat it's hard it's uh difficult to understand the world building's a little bit obtuse and vague which is true um but that's certainly one of my most uh favorite games of the last generation one of my most uh favorite games of all time i've replayed bloodborne three or four times now and i've decided to do it again to go along with um kind of funny and then listen to the podcast after they finish it and talk about it again in the greater context of the best games of the playstation 4 bloodburn um just a really special game for me um i could never tire of it honestly i love what from software has evolved through from uh demon souls now that i've played it up to Sekiro shadows died twice you can see if you play them in release order um you can really see how they have evolved the formula of that style of gameplay that Soulsborne, as we like to call it and i think uh bloodborne and Sekiro are the most unique because they are the one-offs um dark souls is its own thing it's a little bit more uh slow uh methodical and uh, certainly Bloodborne's the fastest. And I think Bloodborne also has the most unique uh, world building and uh, the coolest world that you can explore with probably the most lore. Sekiro has a lot of that too, but Bloodborne just does it in a different way. There's more of that Dark Souls rerouting, finding hidden shortcuts back to your lamppost. Um, and um, I think there's just more variety in the combat in Bloodborne uh, that makes it really entertaining, really fun, and and stressful too, but like a good stressful, <laughs> like you're just on the edge of your seat trying to stay alive, and you're dodging, yes, the same as um, Dark Souls, but having no ability to use a shield and only a shotgun or a pistol or whatever just forces you to be more aggressive and uh, to not worry about being so specific with your shots and with your uh, attack opportunities. And I think uh, I think it was a really great move to go for that in that um, after Dark Souls 2, because Dark Souls 2, uh, while it's good, I feel like it just, it took Dark Souls and it did evolve on it, but it, it also slowed it down even more and um, and ramped up the difficulty by just adding more random enemies throughout the level design rather than just thinking out more clever ways of combat but yeah all of that comes through in the combat it's very fluid very fast um obviously this is largely what the conversation around bloodborne has been and i think uh certainly has some of the best boss design 
um, especially towards the end of the game as you get into um, the darker depths of the hunter's dream and the amygdala <laughs> boss is certainly out there and uh, and oh I forget the name of it but the um, the nursery or like the caretaker of the cradle the baby in the cradle that boss um, with all the knives surrounding the body is spaced out in the right way you and each boss teaches a little aspect more of the combat that makes you ready for the next boss and that's what I love so much about the the level design you're always ready for the next challenge even if you don't think you are and even if you get your butt butt kicked attempting it you are ready um, it just might take you a little bit of time to get the mechanics down but the actual character your avatar and uh, your level and where you're at in that sense is um, it's all ready when you wherever you are in the game and that's a really great thing it's really special so yeah I've been enjoying watching kind of funnies um, playthrough with Greg on stream um, I think it's a game that more people need to give a chance of, on uh, not just let the aura or the uh, uh, I guess scary nature of the Soulsborne title to draw you away because um, these are special games and they're some of the best design games uh, ever especially over the last 10 years too um, I know there is a debate on accessibility that's certainly valid and needs to be discussed and I think um, needs to be addressed in future editions whether it's Bloodborne 2 or um, what's that title with George R. R. Martin the next one that's going to come out I forget the title it's on the top of my head but that one hopefully they address some of those accessibility concerns and not just keep it the one uh, difficulty option or if they are add features in the settings that allow it uh, to become a little bit easier for those struggling with disability uh, in whatever form whether it's eyesight physical disability uh, or whatever uh, games need to be more accessible and there's no excuse for them not to be that was proven last year there was too many great games doing great work with accessibility so now it's uh, it's no longer an excuse so hopefully we start seeing that change. Um, the last thing uh, that I've been playing lately, at least in the new year, is Marvel's The Avengers from Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix. Um, I finally just bought it on a sale. It was 50% off. Um, this is a game I was highly anticipating ever, uh, ever since it was announced with that brief teaser showing uh, the weapons of each character. I think it was like four or five years ago and that Crystal Dynamics was going to be working on it. I was really excited about their potential because uh, I thought they, were, uh, they weren't the developer that I th was expecting to be on an Avengers game if it ever came about, but I thought it was a good fit because uh, I think they're very good at story, at least with the Tomb Raider reboots. And um, so they were deserving on the honor. And then when it was revealed that it was going to be a games as a service model, I was very let down and then and then the reveal the gameplay and just the rollout of it just it was it was let down after let down and i just don't think it was a model suitable for the greatest heroes of this last decade uh, as evidenced by the mcu just their popularity at being such a height i think they deserved um the spider-man treatment 
that Insomniac Games brought them a good 30 to 40 hour campaign where you've got the ability to play as each hero, go in depth, uh, unlock abilities, and not do it behind this obtuse mission structure where you have to go to this war table hub and select a new mission every time. Um, and there's some of that in there, but I will say after having played the game, I was impressed. And that could be because my expectations were lowered uh, going into it and just the reception after it was released. But uh, the campaign was really solid. Uh, it was much shorter than I was hoping it would be. And I think there are some storytelling beats and moments and issues within that campaign because it's so short. But um, largely, I did find myself riveted by the story they were telling. Um, I think Modoc was an excellent villain choice for them, and the um, evolution of uh, the Doctor that they use at the beginning with A-Day and uh, turning him into Modoc was really cool seeing uh, all the CGI around that and the cutscenes. But the short campaign ultimately just didn't service him very well because there were two villains and he kind of got the least attention even though he was the main villain in the end uh the main villain that you fought in the big boss battle at the end and uh i think even if it was doubled it's about 10 hours 10 to 12 hours depending on how long you take to play the campaign and which difficulty you're playing on and also which heroes you're using once you unlock them all but um yeah, I, I would have liked more time to ruminate with the Doctor to feel his motivations, feel his emotions. And uh, I think now it's also frustrating because we've seen the MCU and the movies kind of tackle villains now in the way that feels satisfying. I don't. I think going forward you're going to see more of the Thanos treatment in the films. You're going to see more connectivity with villains and uh, to make us care because now that's some... Uh, now that Robert Downey Jr., now that Chris friends are gone, we're going to need to care more about the villains. Um, we already care about the heroes that still exist within the M MCU, but I think there needs to be a greater connective thread, a uh, greater emotional connection to the conflict on the audience. So I think that's going to continue. And I was really hoping that was going to continue in the games. I thought uh, Marvel Games was going to take that upon themselves to kind of transition to video games. Not that they're going to copy every tactic that Marvel game or marvel studios has or adopt kevin feige, feige's tactics but um i thought they were going to try and protect uh that legacy and uh, tell a story or hope a developer told a story that was really worthy of the marvel brand and it's, it is still worthy i don't want to be overly negative it's still very entertaining um but i just think it could have been better served the scope of the story is bigger than what it was given and i think that's evidenced by the Kate Bishop DLC. Um, I think what they're leading to, what they've uh, shown as the cliffhanger in that DLC, I think all of the DLC that we're going to end up getting, I think it could have probably been a full single-player campaign in its own right in a bigger game. And uh, to see now that they're going to do it as DLC over a longer period of time, is it just comes across as really cash-grabby. And I don't think that's Crystal Dynamics' fault. I think that's more on Square Enix. They were looking for that type of title that they could uh, have money coming through over a long period of time. And I just, 
um, I'm getting frustrated with publishers that think they can just kind of put this on any subject game. Uh, like, I think um, they should have just been happy with Final Fantasy XIV as that model, as an old-style traditional um, MMO in that model, rather than trying to shoehorn it onto largely a console game and largely a console experience. I think the ultimate problem with the Avengers is that it wasn't designed to be this single-player uh, story, and it wasn't designed to be a single-player game. It was designed with multiplayer as its core gameplay loop, and uh, I haven't played any of the multiplayer. I haven't tried to play any of the missions of the campaign with other people. Um, I just don't know anybody else that's playing it, which doesn't um, breed well for the game. I don't think um, it could also be me and just not looking hard enough, but um, I wasn't looking on matchmaking. I didn't want to. I wanted to kind of enjoy it at my own pace. But uh, so I don't know how good or uh, how consistent the multiplayer is right now because I haven't tried it yet. I'm going to continue to play and continue to try and max up my characters because I still I still am enjoying the game and I still want to play because uh, combat is fun. Um, now that I have Kate Bishop. Um, she's become my number one character um i love her um firing a bow feels natural in the way they've decided to implement it it's not like it's not like tomb raider and it's not like uh, horizon zero dawn um uh other uh, large-scale third-party um bow combat um which is good even though and, and crystal dynamics has a lot of experience with this it feels very arcadey and i think that's the right choice for this style of game um especially with your regular bow shot it's just very quick it's very fluid and you don't have to worry about um draw distance too much or draw speed you can try to just blast the arrows uh the arrows quickly uh depending on which arrow mod you've chosen um so it feels it feels very good to play uh and her abilities are really cool i i'm not too familiar with Kate Bishop as a character overall, um, but finding out that she has like um, phase abilities that she can um, kind of teleport quickly, like blink, and um, yeah, uh, it's just proven to be a lot of fun. And she's really powerful. The more and more I get more gear and get um, get uh, different abilities unlocked for, I think I've got her about level twenty nine. She's the only one that I've focused on leveling up right now. I'm going to get to the others. I do. I find I kind of feel the urge to platinum this game, even though it's going to take me a long time. Um, because uh, yeah, just it, it, it's hitting the spot right now. Is um, is kind of a distraction game where I can listen to a podcast, listen to an audiobook while I'm playing, and just keep going. Now that I finished the story content, and uh, um, I'm excited to keep playing. Um, and I mean, there's some heroes I'm not looking forward to playing. I think. Thor is um, probably the most disappointing for me because I was hoping that, um, not that Crystal Dynamics was going to copy uh, somebody else's work, but after Kratos in the God of War reboot felt so fluid and so good, especially with that Leviathan axe, I was really hoping Thor was going to feel similar. Not the same. Didn't He didn't have to feel the same, but I just was hoping that the uh, Mjolnir was going to feel just as good as the leviathan axe and it doesn't and uh so that's disappointing and hulk um i like hulk but he does uh feel kind of one note and uh punchy punchy 
uh, body slam, body slam. It's he's the most repetitive out of all of the heroes, which is um, it's not surprising, but it's a little disappointing. Um, his abilities are um, pretty cool um, overall, but the cooldowns take too long for his. Um, at least that's how I feel early going uh, on the levels with him. I will continue to experiment with that though and see if that changes as I rank him up. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what I've been playing. Let's get to a little bit of news. So Disney and Lucasfilm had a pretty big week when it comes to uh, some video game news. So they have rebranded their games division as Lucasfilm Games, uh, very similar to the way that Marvel is doing their uh, games division, Marvel Games. Um, and now um, it seems that they are ending the Electronic Arts exclusivity window. Um, that contract's technically still valid till 2023, but I think they're coming out and announcing this new rebrand, um, either because they made an agreement with EA to start uh, making these deals with other developers ahead of time uh, and it was mutual or all of these new announcements uh, for games are going to be released after that window expires um, either or um, they were teasing at more game announcements throughout this year so potential and they could be EA related um, it's been a long it's been since uh, 2017 now that we've gotten a new battlefront 2 i know they've been updating it and or a new battlefront game and i know they've been updating it um but um we could also be getting a new announcement on the jedi fallen order sequel but i don't i don't think that's likely either um so it probably is a new ip and uh yeah i don't know if ea has something ready in the pipeline so it if there is a game that's ready to come out this year it's probably from somebody else which means ea is playing ball and allowing Disney to go and make these new deals, uh, which is very good um, for the industry, I think, and good for the Star Wars brand, which is why I'm sure that Disney wanted to go this route. Um, but anyway, the two big announcements that they made on separate days. The first one is Machine Games of Wolfenstein fame underneath Bethesda is making an Indiana Jones game which uh, is awesome uh, that we're getting a, tr a big budget AAA Indiana Jones game. I was not expecting that, and it makes a ton of sense, um, especially with uh, the new film with Harrison Ford apparently still coming at some point. Um, and um, Indiana Jones has not gotten a big game in a long while, except for maybe the Lego game, which is not, which is great, but it's not the what we're kind of looking for in this. And I would never have guessed uh, Machine Games. I would have assumed that they would be working on Wolfenstein 3. Um, but then again, I don't think Wolfenstein 2 did a crazy amount of sales the way that Bethesda was looking for it. So maybe they're working on them both. Um, and this is kind of taking priority. And then Wolfenstein 3 will come after it. But anyway, they're working on it. It's not going to come for a while yet. Probably 2023, if not 2024. But it is still exciting, and um, if anybody is tackling a character that is taking down Nazis, I trust these guys, like everyone else is saying. It's um, it's a good fit. I don't, like, the one concern I have about it is that Wolfenstein is kind of in its gunplay similar to Doom. It is different, but it's kind of similar in how it's um, arcade first person, 
where um, it's not like Call of Duty where you have full control of your body camera and looking around. It's kind of more blocky camera. So I don't know. Obviously, they can they can learn and adapt and, and change those things as developers. So, And I think they will. They probably will go with a more third-person perspective for Indiana Jones. But then again, I could be wrong. Um, but that's really exciting. And uh, I'm definitely going to be looking forward to seeing what they come up with for Indiana Jones. And also for casting, like, I doubt that Harrison Ford's going to be voicing a video game character, but then maybe that's part of the deal. Um, Maybe it's a younger Indiana Jones. There is a ton of possibilities for this. I know the teaser kind of had an image of the Ark of the Covenant, so it could be in that era when Indy's around uh, late 30s, early 40s. Um, So, uh, yeah, tons of possibility with that. And then uh, the other one is um, Ubisoft Massive, who has made the Division games, Division 1 and Division 2, and as well is uh, currently working on an Avatar game. Um, This is really cool. They're really good at doing open world games. I am concerned. I hope they don't do a Star Wars games as a service game like Division. I mean, it could work and it could be really cool. Um, I would certainly play it. But uh, I hope they just kind of do more of a traditional Ubisoft model um, and uh, where it, it is truly single player and there's not a ton of multiplayer aspects because I think there's a ton of multiplayer options for Star Wars right now. Uh, and we could use some more single player focused content. And so that's one concern with that. The other concern is that we've seen nothing from this Avatar game that they're working on and they've been working on it for a while. Um, I would actually be surprised if we don't see anything from that game this year. Um, I'm not particularly interested in an Avatar game, but they are working on it. And um, yeah, so we just kind of have to wait and see with that. Obviously, the Avatar game is closer. Uh, this is just prob- presumably starting development, if not uh, shortly after the early stages. Um, so, but regardless they're a talented development team and i'm sure what they come up with will be uh certainly entertaining at the very least um so very cool news i'm very very excited to see what else lucasfilm games has to offer us and uh we'll see i I think 2021 is going to be a big game for them as they kind of unveil this new era of star wars and lucasfilm content which is really cool um so yeah let's move on to the topic of the show which uh i'm going to be discussing my top 10 games from 2020 as well as kind of naming my game of the year which will be the number one game on this list uh but i'm going to go from uh from the bottom down so 10 down to or i should rather say 10 up to one and um yeah without further ado let's get started so number 10 is a game I've already talked about, and that's Marvel's The Avengers. Uh, I won't go too in-depth again on it. Um, it did impress me. There's still things that disappoint me about it, but I had a, I came out net positive on it, and I definitely thought I was going to come out net negative. So that's that's a good sign, and I, can, I want to continue to play it. And with pretty uh, strong evidence that they're going to have Black Panther ready at some point, that they're going to have Doctor Strange, that they're going to have Captain Marvel ready to enter this game 
in the year of 2021. Obviously, Hawkeye proper, Clint Barton, is next for the release um, schedule. Um, and I, th- uh, But all of those heroes, it looks like they're trying to bring them into the game, as well as uh, Spider-Man for the PlayStation exclusive, exclusive deal that they made. So all of those characters coming in with their own section of the campaign, it's all building towards something. I don't know what they're building towards. Obviously, it involves the Kree. Um, so they could be doing some kind of Kree scrawl storyline. They could be doing uh, Kree and then mixed with bringing in the Infinity Stones. I don't think they want to dabble in that and do a repeat and then bring in Thanos. I think they could eventually work themselves up to that, but I think they want to work on another high-tier villain. I hope it's Doctor Doom. I really love when they focus on Doctor Doom in a video game. I think it works really well as the big bad, but uh, we'll see. Um, uh, Obviously, with MODOK um, defeated in the main campaign, there's not too much room for him to take over, and now the secondary villain kind of running things in the DLC story. Uh, The main villain, the head of AIM, uh, I forget her name, but uh, anyway... Yeah, so number 10, Marvel's The Avengers. Um, Next, number 9, is Doom Eternal. Uh, Yep, came out the same day as Animal Crossing New Horizons. Um, I prioritized this game over that. Uh, It's just more my style. I love the 2016 reboot of Doom. Uh, It was amazing, hardcore action, hardcore rock and roll. Um, just frenetic, crazy, um, a right amount of challenge, um, at the difficulty that I chose at least, um, and a really cool story. I loved exploring Mars and I love seeing what the demons were up to. I love seeing how the abandoned space station was connected to the demons and, um, these backdoor deals that humans were trying to make with, uh, who was the head of, uh, the demons. And it was all really cool. And I think, Doom Eternal took everything that was great about 2016 and made it better. I know that's pretty controversial to say. I know a lot of people still love 2016 over Doom Eternal. But um, I felt the gunplay got better. I felt the story beats were better. And I felt that the enemy variety was way better in Eternal. Um, and as well as the level design. I really liked the uh, platforming that they added. Uh, it fit really well into combat and your strategy for uh, approaching an arena of demons and um, yeah I played through the campaign twice maybe three times to get uh, as many trophies as I could for the story campaign I I didn't end up getting the platinum just because the multiplayer trophies are really obtuse and the matchmaking was extremely slow because nobody's playing it and that's unfortunate um it was fun and limited time, but it's like they shoehorned this mode in and then required you to get trophies for it if you want the platinum. And it's it's very frustrating if no one's no one's there to be there for matchmaking and you can't achieve what you need to achieve for those uh, those trophies. It just takes extra extra long, and I don't really have uh, the desire to use that time for that. Maybe one day I'll go back uh, and see especially with the PS5 if uh, if there's people still there and maybe I can clean those up but for now I'm not gonna go back but uh, and uh, anyway uh, all the bosses were really cool the last boss I loved I loved the final boss battle 
of that game. Um, actually, the second last boss battle. The last boss battle was cool, but the second last boss battle of... Um, I forget her name, um, but she's like the head of um, kind of those angel things. She has wings. Um, her boss battle was very cool and uh, a unique challenge. Uh, so really, really great design there. I think it's software outdid themselves with that um and i hope they continue to make doom games because these are hella fun um and it's just great action um so yeah great choice uh a really really great uh great time in 2020 with that all right number eight that will be ghost of tsushima from sucker punch um a very cool game. I love uh, Japanese history. Uh, I loved exploring the island of Tsushima and um, the historical importance and significance of uh, that conflict with the Mongols. Um, they did a, such an excellent job weaving narrative with historical fact. Um, and it's just evident with every frame of the game that Sucker Punch did their due diligence in researching Japanese culture and samurai culture um, and uh, I think the uh, the proof is in the pudding um, it's one of the most um, successful games uh, first party games in Japan and also what well, uh, actually it might be the most but one, certainly one of the most successful western developed games about Japan culture in Japan uh, and that says something um, so that's very special. Um, but I, I love Jin Sakai. He's a great protagonist, uh, a very sympathetic character. Um, and um, I think there's some areas of the game where you're not fully with him on his decision-making. Um, and I kind of wished as you got more powerful and as you approached the status of the ghost later on in the game that you still had some things pulling him back a little bit. Um, that that internal guilt, that familial guilt about where he was going. Um, I just felt like once you got to a certain point, and obviously the story was driving you to this point, um, that um, you just didn't care what your uncle thought about what you were doing. You were just in on this. It was like a full switch. Um, and I didn't feel like there was enough give and, give and take with that dilemma, uh, that moral dilemma with betraying your family code, your family honor, especially when your uncle has been such a core parental figure, a core father figure in your life and or in his life. And uh, so I think that could have been done better, but everything else um, was really cool. Yet the most frustrating aspect of the game is those missions where you had to discover a location off of a ink drawing and it's like, yeah, there's an arrow, and you have to look for these flowers on a mountainside. You have, n and obviously there's no pinging in this game, so you have no idea uh, where where to even begin. Like you have a sense, but it's just kind of random, and then you kind of get lucky and glimpse something. It kind of worked, but it was very frustrating when it didn't. Uh, and I ran into more than a few occasions of it not working. And then of course the other thing is the no lock on um, targeting for enemies, which um, it's been talked about ad nauseum when the game came out in reviews, but I just, it doesn't make sense, um, uh, why they didn't add it. Um, it, it could have just made things so much easier, 
when there were, you know, multiple enemies, six to ten around you. I mean, as you start to whittle people down, it's not as important uh, in an encounter. But, um, yeah, for sure, in those big uh, scaled battles where you're on your own versus however many enemies, it was it would certainly be helpful. So just a couple of nitpicks there. But overall, that game is gorgeous. Uh, one of the best looking games on the PS4. And um, I haven't even looked at it. Uh, brought it up on the ps5 yet and i'm sure it just looks even better um so a very special game and i'm i'm i was skeptical of sucker punch transitioning from infamous to a historical action game especially in japan um i was kind of hoping they were going to stay in the fantastical realm um not necessarily superheroes or even the infamous franchise just uh something more modern um but uh, they nailed it, and I gotta give them credit for that. So um, we'll see if they continue with the franchise. Um, it seems likely at this point, based on how well the game did and how beloved it is. But I would also not be surprised if this is a one-off and they decided to pivot again and do something else and and flex their muscles again. Um, they're more than talented enough to do that, and uh, they've earned the right to do whatever they want, regardless of whether it's a sequel or something else. Um, so yeah uh number seven is call of duty warzone um a major addition to modern warfare the second battle royale in the cod franchise taking over from blackout from black ops 4 um i when when it was first coming out it was obviously very exciting i was skeptical of 150 player lobbies um because obviously the traditional is 100 for fortnite and uh, pubg and of course blackout too and uh but it works really well the map is huge um and it sustains itself pretty well there's not a ton of matchmaking errors there like they happen sometimes you just lose connection to the server and you drop out of a match it's frustrating especially when you're close to a win and your buddies are waiting for you <laughs> or needing your help and things like that it, it comes at inopportune times but um the way that infinity ward designed this battle royale and improved it over the course of last year is incredibly impressive um certainly not without its bumps obviously certain guns being overpowered for too long at times and obviously certain bugs making it into the game uh and obviously more we were having more issues with bugs the closer we got to the black ops cold war launch and i think that just comes with um activision having an emphasis on the internal development and the assist studios supporting the new game rather than warzone specifically so a lot of those bugs just ended up being in the game longer but that aside the core gameplay is call of duty through and through it feels very good it feels fair uh when you lose battles at certain times um, hackers being the only exception, um, and everything feels fluid. Um, it's just really fast paced energy and there's nothing more hype than getting a squad wipe in quads or trios, even duos, and just being able to celebrate with your friends after a stressful moment. And just like, yes, we won this encounter. Let's move on to the next group and keep going, keep going. And once you get a win, it's there's just no greater thrill i i can't stop playing this game i only have about 30 wins and let's and the game's almost been out for a year some of the best people in the game have over a thousand wins which is crazy um 
because they're just that good. But um, yeah, I love this game. I'm going to continue to grind out, try to grind out wins and get a better KD rate and uh, and just enjoy myself, have fun with my friends. It's is an absolute blast. It's my favorite multiplayer game right now. And uh, I don't know when that's going to fall off. Um, I haven't had this longevity with Fortnite or Apex or PUBG. I actually haven't even tried PUBG. I did have this longevity with Blackout. Um, but uh, even comparing them now, Blackout seems very outdated. Um, and initially, I like Blackout better. But um, over time, this has just become the better experience and uh, the better designed experience. And it's really special for that reason. All right, number six is um, probably an under under the radar pick uh, for a lot of people, um, but it is Neo 2. Um, Neo 2, um, a franchise kind of modeling after the Dark Souls series. Um, again, Japanese culture, Japanese history, with some more mystical elements tied into it. Um, which is really cool how they tie those in and in, in the em, en, enemy types and uh, the encounters, um, but very much a Souls-like style of combat and a Souls-like um, flow in terms of uh, you're getting your resource that you're earning is called Amrita. It's kind of a gold-like uh, substance that you're earning, and that's what you're spending to upgrade your skills and upgrade your weapons and and things like that, um, just like Souls are in the Souls games or Blood Echoes in uh, Bloodborne. and um, But it's a little bit more action-oriented. You have more combos that you can kind of execute based on the weapons that you prioritize in unlocking and the abilities you unlock for those weapons specifically. And um, Neo 2 over Neo 1, um, there's just so many more customization options. There's an, an additional four or five weapon types that just didn't exist in the first game. And... It just makes for so much more variety. Um, I'm constantly dipping back and forth on which type of weapon I want to use in this game. It's awesome. Um, it's not truly open world. Uh, it's all mission uh, based to a certain extent. Um, it's not like Marvel's The Avengers where it's like kind of pseudo matchmaking and it's tied to a timer. But you just kind of have to load into a mission um, play through it. The missions themselves are pretty large areas um, that you can kind of explore. Um, and then there's repeat missions in those uh, in some of those areas. Um, uh, like side missions, side objectives in the same mini area map for certain area, for certain sections of the game. And uh, Neo 2, they just went more for personal customization and more RPG mechanics. And I totally appreciate that. The first game had a English main character in a Japanese setting and it just kind of juxtaposed everything. It wasn't really working. And then he wasn't a fully voice act char acted character. So it wasn't truly clear why he was the one chosen for that mission. And uh, I haven't beaten Neo 2 yet. I'm gonna get back into that. I'm probably gonna do it on stream for a little bit um, here and there. Um, but, um, the, the things they're doing in this game is, are really cool. And, uh, it's, uh, just a lot of crazy action fun and they've balanced out the, um, or they, one of the cool things they've added for the combat was, um, you can go into your like demon mode, you're fighting demons, but like you can also t 
uh, harness their power in um i forget the term for it but the kind of like the white realm zones you can target that power and become a demon yourself get better powers for a certain it's like a cooldown really and do extra damage do extra um uh combos and attacks on those combos um for certain sections uh, certain encounters and certain bosses boss design is incredible level design is incredible it all ties so fluidly together I just love this franchise. It is amazing, and people are sleeping on it, obviously, because of the challenge. Um, it is hard, like this Dark Souls series and like Bloodborne, but it is so worth it. It is so much fun to play. All right, halfway through. Uh, number five is Spider-Man Miles Morales. The I don't want to call it a half-sequel. I guess the spin-off of the mainline Spider-Man games for uh, PlayStation from Insomniac Games, um, obviously back in New York City, playing as Miles Morales this time around, who got his powers at the end of the uh, main Spider-Man game campaign, um, while throughout it really teased it, and um, this is a really coming-of-age story of of a boy coming becoming a hero, a boy starting to become a man, um, a boy coming to terms with his father's death, um, and a boy coming to terms with uh, lost friendships and uh, loss in general and how to balance all of these things and then also think about school and uh, and think about family at Christmas time and think about taking on the mantle of protecting a city of, you know, 12 million people. Um, it is a lot of shoes to fill and they really show... Uh, throughout the story campaign, Miles struggling with taking on this mantle with uh, Peter Parker out of the country and uh, and facing his own threat. And then, um, spoilers, facing his best friend, who was the Tinkerer. And, um, yeah, you, could, you just sense in every... Um, v- voice line moment um, th- and, like, progression... That Miles is growing and he's learning and he's getting better. He's he makes mistakes at certain times, but you can tell he's starting to get it and why it's important to be a symbol for New York, a symbol for Harlem, and uh, what it means to be a Spider-Man. And uh, it's really cool to see um, this character uh, in a video game because I think obviously. He was done to perfection in into into the Spider Verse. Um, I think a lot of people would say like that's just the purest form of Miles at this point, and the best representation of him in uh, medium, even over the comics at this point. And uh, Insomniac Games just took the character, made it their own, made it fit into their version of this world, and their. Um, their storyline and uh and he's unique enough and different enough from the miles in the movie that um he can stand on his own and he can be a different type of spider-man uh even though you can take the suit from the film and put it on him and uh yeah it's just really cool um obviously his abilities are a little bit different than peter's not too much change there but some obviously with his uh electrical abilities that are really cool a nice spin on the combat, um, and uh, getting to explore New York City at Christmas time is uh, a treat. Um, 
I've always had a dream of spending an entire Christmas season in New York City. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it just looks beautiful as ever. And it's still just as fun to swing around the city aimlessly doing nothing. You don't even have to like fight crime. You're just swinging and swinging and going to the tallest structure, whether it's Avengers Tower or Peace Tower uh, in the financial district at the site of 9-11 or the Empire State Building. You just go to the very top and then just fall jump off and fall and then swing and it's just magic every time um so yeah spider-man miles morales um really strong in my book from the from last year 2020 so number four is final fantasy 7 remake yes the first part of uh what's going to be many multiple parts uh of the remake um I've never played the entirety of the original Final Fantasy VII. I played through the intro and gotten to the first, like, where it, the map opens, you get out of the city, and you're kind of in the desert. Uh, and I did that, like, 15 years ago, so I don't even really remember a lot of it. But um, this game was special. Um, combat is special. Um, the characters are so, so cool. Um Cloud, Barrett, Tifa, um, Aerith. Um, they're just so relatable and they're so unique. And uh, just, I, I have nothing but love for them, uh, for every one of them. And uh, seeing their journey and going through it and going up against Shinra, um, seeing plot twists, learning what the, the story behind the scenes is truly about um, for the first time, really. And. Um, Uh, And just getting better and better at that game just feels so, so good. Um, I love doing the AR boss battles. Those were really fun. Um, They were certainly challenging, um, but well worth it. And the the level upgrades, um, story progression, it just all felt really good. And, of course, Sephiroth at the very end is chef's kiss perfection. Um... My side note, biggest disappointment with uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 was that there was no Sephiroth um, side boss battle. Uh, He was there in Kingdom Hearts 1, Kingdom Hearts 2, and they decided for whatever reason not to do another one in Kingdom Hearts 3. And and just being able to go and find that boss battle after you've done the story is just one of the coolest moments um, in the Kingdom Hearts story. And so I love an excellent Sephiroth boss battle. And... I'd only really had that um, true experience in Kingdom Hearts 2. And so doing it here, it just brought some nostalgia, even though it's different series and it's a different version of Sephiroth. Um, but it was so, so cool. Um, a big ramp up to that boss battle. I love like just the moment-to-moment sequence um, going into that battle is really cool and how you have to work together to actually defeat him. Um, being only having access to one hero at a time, and then eventually you get your full trio back at the at the end phase. Um, so so good. Uh, so much potential for where they're going to go next. Um, I'm super excited for that. I hope it doesn't take too long for them to get part two out. Um, but it's Square Enix. We'll see. They're also still making Final Fantasy 16, which is supposed to theoretically come this year. I I wouldn't be surprised if that gets bumped. Uh, to 2022 or beyond Uh, that's square enix's track record that could delay it into um 
the beyond and where we don't know exactly what's happening with it but regardless i hope uh final fantasy 7 remake part two comes out really soon i want to continue that story i want to play as cloud again i want to do different things in combat and um and just be able to explore more have it a little be a little bit more open i felt like this first part was a little bit rigid um not that it's overly a bad thing um it was structured but it was open at the same time and it was just the it was kind of the right balance i i I just wish there was a little bit more openness in the pathways between each section of the game but uh regardless uh i loved every moment of playing final fantasy 7 remake at number three is hades from super giant games um man what a fun addicting never-ending experience hades is absolutely perfect i loved every moment i played this game i played it endlessly i would come home from work and just play round after round after round trying to get further and further and further to sometimes getting a little bit better sometimes dying at the same spot um but always talking to every character after i died consuming as much story content as i possibly could every character is so meticulously and brilliantly written they are so well defined it is incredible what supergiant achieved with this game um i it's really unbelievable um story-wise what how much they put in how much dialogue they recorded how much dialogue they written or they wrote um how many lore beats notes uh things like that connectivity uh and then to allow it to uh open up and express itself to the player after dying at uh, very similar points in the game and just giving you little bits of information as you keep going along and then being able to unlock more weapons um beat new bosses and get to that next room get to that next encounter um and just keep getting better and better and better um i don't play a lot of roguelikes um it's probably this in dead cells and um if someone was going to tell me there was going to be another roguelike game that was even better than dead cells only two years after dead cells came out i would have told you you are crazy because dead cells is incredible um but this is better and um, I would say it's because of the story. Uh, that's just my personal preference. I focus on story. Um, and that's where they got me. Uh, and I, l- and then the other thing, especially with this game is just Greek mythology. I love Greek mythology. I love everything about it and tying in, um, having access to other gods abilities and to get stronger and have, um, modifiers on your weapons and your attacks um and randomized too to kind of tailor to each different playthrough making each playthrough feel incredibly unique and varied um it is just so 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 cool my favorite weapon's the shield um i think that's what i got my first actual win my defeat of hades on and then the next one would be the spear um and i don't i don't think i had too much luck with uh the sword or um the fists uh no no the fists were okay it was um sorry it was the the gun um that is kind of tough to learn and tough to use um but they 
every single weapon though does feel balanced it does feel polished um they're all fun to use in different ways i just kind of came to a certain preference because i was having more success with one weapon over another and pairing them with uh and just being able to learn how to pair specific weapons with certain abilities and trying to game the system into giving the abilities i wanted um it was super cool uncovering all of those things so hades number three uh of my top uh top games from last year super special game um i'm gonna keep playing it even though like there's still story that i haven't uncovered um i've just kind of taken a break now that i've beaten hades uh two or three times now um but um yeah love 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 hades number two uh the runner-up to my top games from 2020 is demon souls remake um from the guys that did uh, from blue point games the guys that did the shadow of the, of the colossus remake for playstation 4 um i mean i love all souls games uh this is my favorite genre um my favorite series even though it's not connected to dark souls i just i love um the origins of the series and and i never got to play demon souls on the ps3 i'm kind of glad i didn't um because getting to experience this on ps5 was an absolute treat um it is the best looking game i have ever seen um and also the fastest loading um and i think uh now that we're at this point with ssds and consoles playing these types of games might be a little bit easier for people because in uh previous dark souls titles it could take upwards of a minute to load in after death and um and you're just kind of waiting and you're stuck wallowing into your defeat and then you have to get up and go again this loaded in two seconds you died i'm back at the base and i'm ready to go again let's go um i was so impressed um with uh, the boss battles um with just the level design all this all of i mean all of this stuff comes from the original um and it's just updated uh from the ground up from blue point um so i'm really um celebrating a 2009 game but regardless I loved every moment of uh, playing this game. Um, it uh, um, it didn't take me too long. I'm not trying to be arrogant about that, but um, it's it's much shorter than other Souls games, and uh, I think at this point that's not a bad thing. Um, it's nice to have a smaller uh, experience. And the one thing I did not know about this game is that you can go pretty much to any area of the game at will with the, uh, the way, the waypoints. And that was really cool. And being able to research like, Oh, if this is your build, you might want to go here first and go get this and then go to other areas. And, and maybe you just do half of a certain area, uh, beat two bosses here, go over here, go get this and then come back. Cause then you'll be much stronger. Um, just really cool how that's all laid out and how you have so much choice in that um and if and then if also if you're just stuck on regular mobs in a certain section then you can just like you know what i'm going to take a break from this go somewhere else and maybe you have some success um and you would make some achievements there because i would say the keys uh to these types of games is just having that uh, that little bit of success that little bit of breakthrough 
to just keep you hanging on to hope that you can actually complete the whole thing. Um, that's what helped me get through the original Dark Souls, which was my first uh, game in this type of genre. Um, and yeah, um, I, I fell in love with my character. This is the first time I've ran a magic-based character in one of these games. I normally stick to just sword and shield. And um, there, were, I, I, there was times where I did have my shield out, or my sword and shield out pre, uh, quite a bit, but I was really focused on using magic, and it worked really well. Uh, I had a lot of fun with uh, experimenting with that and trying to use different spells, find different spells, and, uh, and just kind of mix it up and do something different and have a different uh, experience uh, and challenge with it too. It's a little bit more challenging to use magic, but magic in this game is by far more powerful than any of the other Souls games, at least in my opinion. Um, and maybe I just didn't give magic enough of a chance in the original Dark Souls or uh, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3. Um, and it doesn't exist much in Bloodborne, but um, yeah. This um, this game is so, so, so good. Um, and I, I, I'm going to go back again. I, I really, really want to get the Platinum Trophy for this game. And it doesn't seem too, too difficult. Um, I've gotten a lot. Uh, obviously, I've defeated every boss. But I've gotten a lot of the challenge modifier trophies for a lot of the encounters. So, like, certain stipulations that... Uh, they want you to do in certain encounters. I missed some of them just because I wasn't paying too much attention, but I could have gotten them if I was. And it's just about going back and, and replaying certain bosses and uh, and not uh, hurting progression towards those specific trophies. And then, of course, it's collecting all the spells, all the faith, um, the faith spells, um, all the rings, uh, things like that, that will require a few more playthroughs. But... Um, I'm all in. I'm ready to jump back in and explore the whole thing again. It was just um, an amazing, amazing time and uh, a super special game from last year. I will say there is one big frustration with Demon Souls, and that was the uh, God Breaker or the Demon God uh, boss battle, which is like, um, if you're familiar with the game at all and you've seen the trailers, that's the big dragon uh, that kind of comes up and crashes down on the uh, military or like the castle um, gates or whatever and kind of stands up and, and um, um, growls <laughs> out into the night and just has a lot of eyes and breathes fire. It's a massive, massive dragon. Um, looks really, really cool. But that boss fight um, is not a typical boss fight for this for this game and it's it's kind of gimmicky you have to hit two um uh turrets almost like where you're like catapults and um jam uh big arrows into the boss in order to get his head to come down for you to attack it um and getting access to those um catapults i'm not saying that right it's not a catapult per se but i'm just going to say that for now um but getting access to them is so goofy. Like you have to run to a certain section and then hide from the boss and then run again. But then if you're not fast enough, he'll hit you with his fist every time. And it's always a one hit kill. It doesn't matter how much health you have, how much defense you have, how much equipment you have on. 
And of course, I was a mage, so I wasn't that protected. But even then, it's a one-hit kill every time. And it, I like was pulling hairs out trying to get through that boss. It was frustrating. And then after you hit the first um, arrow and get it into him, it opens up a secondary path kind of underneath. But he breathes fire along the path uh, or at three different sections of the path but you don't know which section he's going to target. It's kind of based on where you are and where you're going, um, but you can't target the boss and look at him and see the the cue of when he's going to breathe fire and where he's going to breathe fire. And that, of course, is also a one-hit kill. So, like, um, I would just get hit by fire, and I didn't know it was coming, and it's just constant. And then, of course, if you die to that, you have to start the whole thing over again. You have to get to the first arrow and activate it. Um and whatnot and then even if you get to the second arrow um i only beat him because i was a magic character um once his once you have both arrows on him and his head is down kind of on the cliff and you can hit him with your sword or whatever weapon you have um it uh he breathes fire right in your face in that vicinity that you're trying to hit and if that hits you it's also a one hit kill and then you have to start the whole thing again. Um, and if I had just, um, uh, I ultimately ended up beating him because I just stayed at a distance and threw magic spells at him constantly until he was dead. Um, and that's what worked. And I was so glad I had that in my playthrough to be able to do it that way. Cause I would have been so, so upset just kind of doing it over and over and over again to no, to no success. That, type of gimmick just didn't work and i think this was a complaint when the game came out back in 2009 and it's still a complaint now to a lot of players um so yeah just one boss encounter out of the many that was just super super annoying um but uh, out of i think there's like 16 in the game um 16 bosses something like something around there of that to have one that's super gimmicky like that that's a pretty good track record and of course this is the first game that um from software um did in this genre so um that's to be expected their their boss design got way better as they went along and uh um yeah so but overall it's just super super fun um and the challenge is there if that's what you like in this Soulsborne um, type of environment. And and but I also want to say it's not um, as um, unapproachable as some of the other entries are. I think Dark Souls Tool is the m- most unapproachable. It is um, very very hard to get started in Dark Souls Two and not feel like you're constantly underpowered. Um, Dark Souls 1 is okay. Um, Dark Souls 3 is very approachable, at least in my opinion. And then, of course, Bloodborne um, is the most approachable of the entire series, um, at least in my mind. And uh, But yeah, this I would probably put this at number 2, maybe number 3 underneath Sekiro, because um, Sekiro's Shadows Die Twice. Um, you, it's not, there's less RPG mechanics. You are playing a specific character, and you only have one type of weapon. So... Um, but um yeah so demon souls ranks high on my list of soulsborne games i was really 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 impressed uh with what i saw there 
Now, last but absolutely not least, of course, my number one, my game of the year of 2020 is The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, for anybody that knows me, this should not be a surprise. Um, I'm a huge fan of Naughty Dog games. I have been since uh, Jack 2. Um, they just do great work. Uh, and this is by far the best game they've ever ever done um on every level in my opinion i mean there's there there is the the argument that um uh that uncharted has better combat uh could be made obviously uncharted's based more around its combat it's more uh hollywoody uh in the way it presents its combat but uh, regardless of the the paired back nature of level the last of us the um the limited resources and the slow moving combat i i it just fits this world so well and it fits the story uh so well so that even if combat is pretty basic um for the most part it just feels so right and it feels so connected to the emotional tone uh that they want to accomplish um with the overall game um obviously we're very familiar with these characters at this point the last from the last of us ellie and joel and tommy and um that's pretty much it from the first game um obviously new um new people being introduced to this game uh, especially abby and dina and owen jesse um I could really say all of Abby's crew, the entire cast of this game is incredibly impressive. And the amount, like the, the quality of voice acting is unparalleled in video games, um, in my opinion. There's just so much quality work. I, uh, I've tracked uh, Academy Awards uh, for my entire life that I've been aware of them. I wish we could start qualifying video game performances for the academy awards i get it it's hollywood like the academy is specifically for film motion picture arts but um man video game need video game and mocap performance needs to tar needs to start getting the recognition um that it deserves in terms of uh performance quality because a lot of the best performances uh in a year have been done in video games over film uh, I would say, and uh, that is the case with this game, um, whether it's Ashley Johnson as Ellie or Laura Bailey as Abby, both of them deserve an Academy Award for acting <laughs> in their respective roles. That's, I know some people might find that controversial, but this, like, it is so, so good, um, the performances that they give it is so emotionally raw it is so dark it is so dreary it is so depressing um i've never had a video game make me feel so many different moment uh, so many different emotions over the course of a single campaign um just moment to moment going from anger to resentment uh, to fear um to grief to sadness, um, depression, um, to happiness, to joy, um, to malaise, uh, and that's not to say boring, uh, just like, um, it's just, there's just so many different modes that this game shows, and it's, 
um, it's just strength in storytelling. Um, I, like a lot of people find that controversial. This is by far the best narrative to come out of video games ever, in my opinion. Um, and I think they, uh, Naughty Dog and uh, Neil Druckmann built on the first game in uh, the most satisfying way that they ever could. Um, I like everyone says that they wish that uh, spoilers that Joel didn't die and that um, it was just Joel and Ellie. Uh, Ellie grown up. They're combating the uh, the infection again. Um, out on the open plains of the USA and then fighting whatever uh, threats come their way. But to do that again with no purpose uh, like the first game had of bringing Ellie because she was immune to the virus and having her be like hopefully become the cure for this virus um, to do that again without that reason it just it it would be hollow and it wouldn't be satisfying there would be no real point to it and so for them to explore the final choice of that game in such a way with Joel killing going in saving Ellie um, not telling her the truth and not allowing her to become the cure because he's so connected to her and she's his daughter at this point, you know, making the selfish choice. Um, and now to see, you know, a couple of years later, the consequences of those choices, like this is not a regular world. And um, if it were a regular world, he would still see consequences of his choices. He'd be making different ones, but he would be. And now in a world this brutal, to see his choices catch up to him in this way, it makes sense. Um, of course, there's going to be people coming for him. Of course, there's people connected to those that he had to attack to in order to save Ellie. Joel, in that decision, essentially doomed humanity to this depressing world. Like you're, you're constantly fearing for your life, where you have to be wary about trusting certain people, even if you have a community that you feel comfortable with and you're building walls and, um, and, and you're building infrastructure and you feel really good. You can't, you still can't trust it completely. You still have to be on guard because you could be attacked at any moment, whether it's by, um, the infected or, or by other gangs or other, uh, militias, um, from wherever they may come and um yeah this every single moment um every single cutscene, uh every single optional dialogue moment i was on the edge of my seat um i was completely invested with ellie's relationship with dina um and them going after um tommy um in the city and trying to get back at those that killed joel um Man, and then that bait and switch, the middle of the game, and switching to Abby's perspective, and seeing where she came from, and why she did what she did, and why she went after Joel, and why it meant so much to her. Like, I couldn't fault her for making that choice. I would do the same thing. I would want Joel dead if I were her. I would want him to pay. Um, especially if you were indoctrinated in this world where killing is just another thing it's like it becomes so as familiar as drinking a juice box 
right? That seems kind of goofy and silly to say, but in this type of world, killing and murder for survival is just as familiar as drinking a juice box at a soccer match with your kids. It's It, it becomes such second nature. And uh, to be able to get your own justice is something that's common. And you're only going to get justice if you go after it yourself. And uh, to see the dedication that she had to achieve that is so incredible. And, and seeing just who she is after that, see her world crumble, see how she reacts to that, see how she reacts to Ellie trying to get revenge on her. And she's like, this should be the end of it. My action, like, obviously, there's, there is and should be consequences for Abby, too. Obviously, it makes sense that Ellie would want to go after her. But um, it doesn't have to go the way that you think it's going to go. And um, I just think there were so many poignant moments, uh, whether it's with Abby and the twins, um, Abby with um, the leader who's, um, I forget who he's played by, um, uh, the guy from... 007 and with Casino Royale and Daniel Craig and Westworld um but then also Abby with with Owen and uh her complicated feelings around Owen and complicated feelings of Owen having a baby with Mel um you just grow to sympathize with her and I know some players just felt like it was unearned to feel sympathize uh um to sympathize with Abby, I did not. I thought it felt very natural. Um, I was naturally resistant to it at first, but that's the point of the design of the story and the design of the game. They are making you care about her over time and making you care about her just as much as you care about Ellie. And that's where I found myself at the end of this game. And um, so emotionally gutting. Um, the end of it, the end battle, seeing the steps each take, um, the choices that they make, um, kind of the cliffhanger at the end on whether Ellie is going to find Dina again and be with her or if she's going to have to go on her own. And um, I take closure in that ending and I also take hope that maybe one day there will Naughty Dog will explore a third uh, game in the series um, but if this is all we get I would totally be satisfied with that as well like it's a perfect moment to end on for Ellie uh, where we are and it would just be as perfect to continue her story uh, as well as Abby's story um, that's the beauty of a post-apocalyptic world you can kind of just pick your spots and see where what different people have to do in order to continue to survive um, and um, going back to combat, um, the most impressive aspect of combat for me is certainly the Rat King boss with Abby. That boss battle and the lead up to it is so utterly terrifying. Um, I don't know how, but Naughty Dog was out was able to out develop Capcom with the most Resident Evil boss um, in video game history. That thing is creepy as hell um just the perfect blend of horror and disfigurement and um 
putrid growth um and challenge and like just like panic um my heart rate just jumped in that scene especially when you're in the ambulance and you have to just button mash to be able to get out and he's following you and destroying everything in his in his path to be able to get you and then being it you have to run through the halls and know that it's just inevitable that this creature is going to catch you and try and rip you to shreds oh i love that encounter and dreaded it because it's you just knew something big was coming and you didn't know what it was going to be that reveal of what it looks like oh my god um one of the best reveals of a boss uh and of a creature design ever um yeah this is uh this is one of the best games ever made and Thankfully, uh, we are spoiled. Those of us that love PlayStation and PlayStation first-party games, there were a ton of special games released for the PlayStation 4. And this is um, this is the best one. Um, I would probably say my favorite personally is God of War, but this is by far um, the, better, the better game. Narrative, uh, I mean... Maybe I shouldn't go that far. Um, maybe I'm being reactive in recency bias. Um, I do need to replay God of War. Um, but they are so, so close in quality. Um, and to say that is so... We are so, so lucky um, to be gamers right now. There's just such great work being done. And um, I hope that other games take lessons from this, especially games that try and do story. Um unfortunately for a lot of game development story ends up being the thing that gets cut first um the quality in any way obviously every most games have to have somewhat of a narrative thread and um this is just evidence of what happens when you don't cut story you, you make it the reason for everything that you do and um that's why i like personally single player games are the best story based games are the best for me that's what drives me that's what interests me and that's what i want to continue to play um most and that's why i'm excited most for games like horizon uh forbidden west and uh, and obviously the god of war sequel and other things like that i just i love consuming narratives of all types and uh this is this is one of the best developers at narrative working at the best of their abilities it's just a perfect blend of that and uh i will be forever thankful for this experience um and i'll i'll never forget it it will be on my mind for the rest of my life and um that is a hard thing to do and uh, that's why it is worthy of my Game of the Year award for 2020. That is going to conclude this very first mainline episode of the Gaming Be Granted podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, please rate and review the podcast on your service of choice. Uh, we are now on uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um uh, a couple of others uh including breaker pocket podcasts uh radio public uh all six of those i'm working on getting it on more such as apple podcasts and uh, Castbox and overcast we will see when i can get it on those channels but for now uh it is widely available mainly on spotify and google podcast 
podcast. So hopefully you can find it there. Um, if uh, in the future you would like to start receiving this podcast a couple of days early, please consider supporting me over on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash gaming be granted. Um, there are a number of tiers with different reward levels over there. I could re- I would really appreciate your support. It'll help me improve the quality of this podcast, uh, whether it's through buying different equipment or being able to just provide different levels of content and, and uh, different modes of content. So if, uh, if any help you can provide over there is super granted. Um, or I'm, su- I'm super grateful for any extra help you can provide over there. And, uh, but yeah, um, certainly if you cannot, that's, uh, no harm done. Um, it is for your enjoyment free of charge on any podcast platform out there. Um, again, thank you so much for joining me and I will see you next week where I will be talking with my first guest of 2021 and discussing my most anticipated titles for this year. Stay tuned guys. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.